0: shares his secret of contentment, regardless of circumstances. He says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ, who gives me strength. A life lived in union with Christ produces contentment and confidence that Christ is all we need.
1: It's hard to believe that next week is our last Sunday in the book of Philippians. And my wife was saying to me yesterday so far this has been her absolute favorite sermon series and I tell you I have just enjoyed so much going through this book verse by verse. We've come to the place now where the apostle Paul is expressing gratitude to the people in Philippi and he is—he's uh, grateful that they've helped him with his basic needs. Now, what exactly? What exactly was he in need of? Well, we can only imagine what it is. It's—it's it's not like he's expressing all the things. He's not giving a sort of a shopping list of things that he needs. But uh, I gotta say that I like it when the scriptures sometimes don't give all the details. It's like. When Paul speaks about his thorn in the flesh, we have no idea what that thorn in the flesh is and and I think probably everybody here today at some point or another has has thought of that verse and thought of something that maybe uh, something that God refuses to do, but he does tell you that he he gives you his grace, and it absolutely is sufficient so this is one of those situations where where we can uh, we can read our own situation into into what we're reading here. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 10 to 14, and Taryn has already read that in our video clip, so I'm not gonna reread that. But we could surmise that because Paul is in prison, that uh, he probably needs food, he probably needs money to meet his basic needs. Remember, uh, this man is an author, he's writing letters, and uh, he needs to buy ink, he needs to buy parchments, uh, perhaps clothes, blankets. Uh, maybe he just needs some good advice, some good counsel. Remember in those days, uh, there's no access to telephones or emails or texting. Uh, he, he, needs, he needs somebody. Uh, perhaps he just needs some friendship, he needs some companionship. Perhaps he, he needs his doctor, Luke. But there's, there's all manner of things that he may possibly need. And so the question that I have for you this morning is this, what do you need? What are the things that are, uh, that are in your heart that are troubling you right now? You may be here right now. You may be with us through live stream, and there's things that are in your heart that are disturbing you or troubling you. It's a distraction, really, and you're having a difficult time uh, concentrating on just trusting the Lord. Well, here's what you need to know. The Apostle Paul knows what it means to be dependent on the Lord. And this is something that we're going to discover this morning, the importance of all of us, that all of us understand our need to depend on the Lord. Would you say amen to that? Do you know that even Jesus Christ was dependent on the Father? A lot of people, we don't think of that. When we talk about Jesus being both God and man, uh, we sometimes think, oh, well, he, he didn't experience what we experienced, even though the book of Hebrews tells us explicitly that Jesus is able to identify with everything we go through. So we know that Jesus thirsted. We know that Jesus was hungry, like you and I. We know that he got tired. One time, you may remember this, they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and, and he was so tired, he went to sleep. Now, you can say, well, that's, that doesn't sound unusual, except the problem is, is that there's a storm going on here. And the storm is so strong that it's terrified the disciples, and still Jesus slept. That's how tired he was. We know that he, he knows what it is to be friendless. He know, we know that he knows what it is to be rejected. Is that some of you? Have you experienced any of these things? We know that Jesus suffered. He experienced pain. He knew what it was to be misunderstood. He knew what it was to be uh, attacked by Satan himself. He knew what it was to be humiliated, to be mocked. have no place to lay his head. He knows what it is to be despised and rejected. So, the wonderful thing about our Christian faith is that it it is very, very applicable to every single one of us. And you need to understand that today, that Jesus Christ loves you and cares about you and knows what you need today. So, what is it that you need today? And I'm praying and my prayer is that, is that the Lord would fill your hearts with courage and faith to trust that the Lord will meet your needs. So what we want to do today is we want to learn from this passage in Philippians 4, 10 to 14. We want to learn something about the Christian life. We want to learn how to be like Christ. And what we're sharing today is something that is absolutely applicable to everybody. Everybody here today knows what it is to be in need and to need God's provision. So here's what we know. We know that God uses his people to meet needs. Does everybody know that? God uses his people to meet other people's needs. And I'm going to tell you this, it's one of the most exciting things about being a Christian. I've been in the ministry now since 1983, uh, if you if you count my my internship, it goes back to 1982, and so uh, I've been at this a long time. And I can tell you that when I started in the ministry, uh, I had enough money to pay for my my apartment that I lived in, and enough money to pay for my car loan, and um, I had I, I had enough to buy food for half a month, and I was paid monthly. So. I I was in a position where I absolutely had to depend on God. Now, here's the thing, folks. It never occurred to me that God wouldn't take care of me. It didn't occur to me for one minute that this was not enough to meet my needs. This was was something that, that God drilled into my head in my early years. I'm so thankful for it because it gave me the wisdom and the grace and the faith to trust God further on in my life for the big things, like the building that you're in right now. We shouldn't have been able to get into this building, and yet uh, God wanted us to be in this building, and God met the need. So here's what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I think Paul's being nice here. He's saying... uh, I'm not going to blame you, I'm not going to be upset with you about anything, but I'm just going to chalk it up to you didn't have the opportunity to give, but now you're giving. And by the way, uh, we talked about this already, Epaphroditus was the one sent out by the church in Philippi to, to send an offering to Paul to help him with his needs while he's in prison. And then at the end of this passage that we're looking at this morning, he says, "'Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble.'" Well, we want to find out what, why he says, yet, yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. But before we do that, let me just uh, continue on in this vein. God uses his people. If you're a Christian today, God wants, you, wants to use you to meet the needs of others. You say, well, hold on a minute, Pastor Alan. You said when, when you began that, that you were going to talk about ways that God would provide for, for me. But now you're saying God wants to use me to provide for others. Uh, yes, this is the tricky part about Christianity. Sometimes it, it doesn't quite make sense to our natural mind, but you're gonna see in a moment how God wants to use you, and while he uses you, he meets your needs. Let me tell you about a man by the name of George Mueller. Has anybody ever heard of George Mueller? He was a, a great godly man uh, in the middle 1800s, And he felt God was calling him to care for orphans. And it's said that in the course of his lifetime, he cared for over 10,000 orphans in Britain. And here's the amazing thing. He provided educational opportunities for these orphans to the point that he was even accused by the British upper class of raising these poor children above their station now, that seems strange to us, but in, in Britain, everybody, there's a class system, and, and, and the British want everybody to stay within their class. They don't want anybody moving up. They don't want anybody getting ahead of themselves. And so he was accused of educating these poor kids so that they would be the intellectual and the educational equal of those who were the aristocrats or the upper middle class. And he established 117 schools which offered Christian education to over 120,000 students. He kept meticulous records. Now, that doesn't maybe uh, get you excited the way it ought to, but let me, let me tell you how this happened. Through, through all this, George Mueller never asked anybody for a penny, not, not for anything, if he needed anything, he got on his knees, and he prayed, and he asked the Lord to provide. And so, folks, even though he never asked for anyone, he was never in debt, he was able to build five great big orphanages or homes for these kids, and it cost over 100,000 pounds. Now you say, well, that's not that much. It's 1840. 100,000 pounds is the equivalent to 16 million dollars never asked for a penny. God provided it all. He met the need. Many times, food donations would uh, show up just hours before it was time to feed the children. He records in his diary of how one time they sat down to eat breakfast. This is really funny. They sat down to eat breakfast. The problem is there's no food. They sat down to eat breakfast, Come on, children, sit down to eat breakfast, knowing full well there's no food to feed these kids. He said, let us pray. And so they, bent, they, they bowed their heads and they began to pray. And even as they were praying, the baker knocked on the door with sufficient fresh bread to feed all the children. And then the milkman knocked on the door with plenty of fresh milk. His cart had broke down right in front of the orphanage. Don't you love the way God works? Let's just knock that wheel off, that cart, and we'll provide for these kids. And so here these children, in the care of George Mueller, learn what it was to trust God. God uses his people to meet the needs of others. Listen to this diary entry of George Mueller on February 12, 1842. He says, a brother in the Lord came to me this morning, and after a few minutes of conversation, he gave me 2,000 pounds. That's the equivalent of $311,000 in Canadian money today. And uh, it was to furnish a new orphanage, a new orphan house. And he writes in his diary, now I'm able to meet all of the expenses. In all probability, he says, I will even have $50,000 more than I need. The Lord not only gives as much as is absolutely necessary for His work, but He gives abundantly, George writes. This blessing filled me with inexplicable delight. It would, me too. <laughs> and God gave the full answer to my thousands of prayers over the last 1,195 days, keeping close track of God's provision and God's kindness to Him. I never asked for a penny, I trusted the Lord. Amazing. Amazing. And if you ever get a chance to read his biography, I'd I'd counsel you to do that. This is one of the things that I did as a young Christian. I read as many biographies of famous Christian men and women as I could lay my hands on. And it was at a young age that I learned to trust God to meet my needs. I learned what it was to be a man of God. So when it came to giving, the Apostle Paul held the Philippians up to all the churches As the example for all churches to follow, Paul was very, very much in love with the Philippian believers because of their great love for Christ, because of their great love for Him, because of their great love to see the kingdom of God advance. Now, do you remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, give your wealth to the poor and follow me. And the rich young ruler said, can't do it. And he turned away, turned around and walked away. And Jesus never ran after him and said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let's, let's sweeten the deal. Just, just give a little bit. No. That young ruler loved his money more than he loved Jesus. Now, do you remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Remember that song? He was a he was a a terrible person. He was really a terrible, terrible person. He loved money. He loved money maybe more than anybody. And he worked for the hated Romans. Remember, Rome was, was occupying Israel. And Zacchaeus worked for the Romans. So he was really hated, seen as a real traitor. But to make matters worse, his job was to collect taxes. And to make matters even worse is he would often cheat people as he was getting them to pay their taxes. He would overcharge them. So here's this Zacchaeus, a wee little man who had very, very thick pockets full of money. And Jesus notices him in the sycamore tree. Remember that? And he says, Zacchaeus, come on down here. I'm coming to your house for tea. And Jesus goes to his home. Zacchaeus now, he knows all about Jesus. He knows about the miracles. He knows about his preaching. He knows that Jesus is hated by the establishment, uh, kind of the way Zacchaeus is hated by the establishment. And he feels his bond to Christ, and he, he wants to meet Jesus. He wants to, he wants to sit down and have, uh, have something to eat and, and, and to break bread with him. And we're told that, that the tax collector, Zacchaeus, once Jesus came to his home, he said, "'Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor.'" And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold, four times, four times. I will give back four times what I took from them. That's interesting that this time Jesus is not telling him he's got to give everything. In fact, Jesus didn't say anything. He has volunteered this. He's in the presence of Jesus, and suddenly his heart's transformed. His former love of money has been replaced now with a love for the Savior, Wow. (laughs) And then Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Since Zacchaeus is a descendant of Abraham too. Nobody wanted to hear that. If anything, the Jews would have loved to see Jesus use his powers to kill him. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus sees the transformation in Zacchaeus' heart. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. Folks, what happened in plain language is that Zacchaeus was saved. He was regenerate at that moment. The moment that that his love for money was broken and and was replaced with a love for God, Jesus said, it's happened. He's born again. Now, this immediate evidence of this new heart with his desire to give is the evidence that this man has been saved. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, Paul says to the believers in Corinth. He said, I want you to, to follow the example of the Philippians. And if you thought of it, he might have even said, I want you to follow the example of Zacchaeus. Jesus says to the Philippians in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5, look to the Philippians as your example. He doesn't, doesn't name Philippi, but he talks about Philippi as being the church in Macedonia. And he says in verses 7 to 8, see that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, Paul says, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches, that is, Philippi. He said, Pastor Allen, you told me that you're going to tell me how God will meet my needs, and so far you're only telling me how to give. What is going on here? Well, then Paul says something very, very interesting. So he's thanking them for meeting his needs, and then he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul, you just finished saying thank you. You just finished saying thank you, Philippians, for meeting my needs, but now you're saying not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Listen, the Apostle Paul is not contradicting himself. Rather, what he's saying is what the psalmist said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, when I was a kid, I always thought that that didn't make sense. The Lord is my shepherd, and I won't want him. That's not what it's saying. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want him. That's not what it's saying. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I shall not need anything. Why? Well, Paul is making it clear to us that he looks to God as his provider. So Paul says, I am I am I'm not in need because my life is in the hands of my God. My, my life is in the hands of my shepherd. The way Sheep are in the hands of their shepherd. If sheep don't have a shepherd, guess what? They're dead. They haven't got a chance. The shepherd has his his staff and his rod, which are used to protect the sheep and also to guide the sheep and is also to rescue the sheep. Those sheep have, have not got a chance Without the shepherd. And this is really what Paul is saying. The, the reason I have such confidence that God's going to meet my needs is because I know who my shepherd is. Today, do you know who your shepherd is? Do you know who your provider is? It's Jesus Christ. Paul sees himself as in the very hands of God, and he wants the Philippians to understand that. Now, in theology, there's a, a term called divine providence or simply providence. And providence is God's intervention in the universe. There's two kinds of providence. There's divine providence, which is usually capitalized, capital D, divine, and capital P, providence. And that is actually, in theology, a title for God. So if you, if you can refer to God as providence or you can refer to him as divine providence. But there is a distinction that needs to be made. There's a thing called general providence, which refers to God's continuously upholding the, the existence and the natural order of this, of this world, of the universe. That's called general providence. But what we're talking about, my friends, is we're talking about God's extraordinary intervention in the lives of, of every believer. And sometimes... We we speak of God did a miracle for me. Well, this is this is what divine providence is. It's in that it's in the realm of the miraculous of God intervening in miraculous ways. For instance, and you'll forgive me, those of you who've been around here for a long, long time, uh, referring to something that you've heard me say before. When we got this building, we shouldn't have been able to get this building. It was it started at a million dollars, and then when when and I believe that God intervened, God would not let anybody buy this building until the price was just right. And it went from a million down to 550000 and, uh, <laughs> and we figured, what could we get for our buildings over on Elgin Avenue? We had a house, and we had the little church building, which was about 3,000 square feet. And we figured for the two, we could get 150000 And so we went with our offer to Safeway, and we said, well, we're ready to do a deal. If you give us $400,000, coupled with our $150,000, we can buy your building from you. Deal? I told you how the real estate agent was furious with me. He thought we were playing games, and, and he couldn't believe that we could be so stupid and so arrogant and on and on. I can't even remember all the adjectives he used. But the fact is, is that God was in this. This is what we might call a miracle, or you can call it divine providence, call it whatever you want. God intervened and we got the building. We're so used to miracles around here, when we hear about them, we don't even clap. It's like, no big deal. God does this kind of stuff all the time for the people at Cross Church, amen? (laughs) Can I get a witness? (laughs) So, my friends, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as people in God's care? Listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, this is how you need to see yourself, as beneficiaries of God's providence. God meets my needs. Could you say that with me? God meets your needs. God meets my needs. God meets our needs." Isn't that beautiful? This is who God is. When you leave here today, you can get on the phone and tell your friends, I just found out today that God is interested in providing for me miraculously. This is divine providence. And this is what Paul is speaking. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. That's not the point. But at the same time, he's going to teach the Philippians that they need to give in order to meet his needs. Hey, listen, Paul's not, Paul's not putting himself in a place where he's begging for monies. He's not saying, if you don't give me money by Thursday, uh, God's going to take me home. Did Anybody remember Oral Roberts doing that? And it was the, it was the owner of a greyhound racetrack a gambling establishment that stepped up and gave money to Earl Roberts, and he said, well, hallelujah, God provided. It's all kind of dodgy if you ask me. Paul's, Paul's, Paul's not praying to the Philippians. He's praying to God. It's God who's meeting his needs, and it's God who will continue to meet his needs, and God will continue to meet your needs because it's who he is. He is divine providence, capital D, capital P. He's divine providence. It's who he is. And so Paul's saying, I'm speaking to you about giving, but I'm not telling you that I'm in need. That's not what I'm saying, Paul wants us to know. We're recipients of miracles. Now, can I ask you, do you see yourself as a recipient of miracles, or do you see yourself as one Who is blind to divine providence. The Apostle Paul has got, when it comes to spiritual matters, his eyesight's 20-20. He sees clearly. He's seen the hand of God at work in his life through all the years, and he says, my God is a God who does miracles for me on a regular basis. And I'm here today to testify to you, and can I get a witness? I'm here to testify to you today that God has provided for Gloria and me and my family in the same way. And what he's done for me, and what he did for the Apostle Paul, and what he did for the Philippians, and what he's done for God's people throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, God will do for you. Now, do you think that you're an exception to this rule? I always say, who do you think you are? <laughs> you're a, you, really, you think out of all of the billions of Christians who have existed for two, over 2,000 years, you're the only one that God doesn't care about, that you somehow stand out? You need to know that God's provision is rich and is ready and waiting for you. And by the way, this is not prosperity teaching, as you'll see in just a moment. You now Paul says, "For I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content." Now this word "content, it doesn't, it doesn't really scream at us. But to Paul's audience, that word would scream like, like a meteor falling out of the sky. It was very, very jarring for them when they saw that word "content. Why? Well. Because it's, a, it's a, a word that the Stoics use. It's, the Stoics. Uh, you know what Stoicism is? It's a philosophy. They considered contentment to be the essence of all virtues. What does that mean? Well, the Stoic Seneca put it this way, "...the happy man is content with his present lot, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstances." But Paul transforms the term with a powerfully Christ-centric redefinition. He's saying that all who are in Christ are God-sufficient as opposed to self-sufficient. And that's the difference between Stoicism. That's the difference between the philosophies of this world and Christianity. So it's not that we are self-sufficient, it's that we are God-sufficient. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. That's who we are. We are a people who have learned to be content with what God provides. And this is how Paul saw himself. No, he was not a stoic, not by any means. And by the way, this is why it's so critical that you and I know the Scripture. We need to know the Word of God so that when we hear stupidity like what the Stoics and what Seneca is telling us, we can say, no, 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 this is all wrong. This is not biblical. And most of us don't have that ability. We hear what sounds like good ideas, ideas that appeal to our minds, but it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. And so we need to know what the Word of God tells us. So, contentment, my friends, is rooted in the eternal God and not in the temporal self. What does temporal mean? Temporary. My sufficiency is rooted in the eternal God. What what does this mean? It means as long as I'm in God's hands, I have nothing to worry about. This is what Paul said earlier in the letter, didn't he? He said, if I live, great. If I don't live, great. Great no problem. What has he got here? He's got a God-sufficiency. His contempt is in God. The things of this world don't terrify him. The things of this world don't get him down. He's not worrying about this. And so for this reason, he goes on to say this. He says, I know how to be brought low. That is, I know how to be humbled. Anybody here know what that is, to be brought low, to be humbled? Some of you are like, what does that mean? It means you've gone through hardship. I know I have. And Paul says, and I know how to abound. In any, in every circumstance. What's Paul saying? He says, my circumstances don't define my faith. It does not define who I am. It doesn't define anything. Because God is with us. If God is with us, who can be against us? Wow. You're not walking alone, my friend. Oh, you're maybe going through a situation where in Paul's words you're being brought low. Doesn't mean you're alone. Doesn't mean God's abandoned you. Doesn't mean God has forgotten about you. No, Paul says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It's funny you should say that because he just finished telling us he's not talking about need. (laughs) You would think that Paul's confused, but he's not confused at all. He's saying the world may look at me and say, I look like I'm in need, that I look like I've been humbled and brought low, but I'm going to tell you what the facts are. Hey, how many know today that the world always gets it wrong? When I talk about the world, I'm talking about the thinking and and the mind of the world that has fallen. So... You know, you might see me in plenty. You may see me hungry. You may see me in abundance. You may see me in need. It doesn't mean a thing, Paul says. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, this, what I'm teaching you now, is for the spiritually mature. If you're spiritually immature, this is going to be difficult for you. Nevertheless, we need to dig into it, don't we? Hebrews complains that Right, we, the writer of Hebrews says, you're, you're, you, should be on, you should be eating meat, but you're still drinking milk. You're still on baby formula, if you could find some. <laughs> so Paul tells us a little about his contentment here. He says to be brought low or to be humbled is something that he experienced. This is, by the way, an implicit reference to what we read about In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, where it says that Jesus Christ Himself was humbled. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. See, this this is the name of this sermon series: How to Be Like Christ, Living Like Christ. And so we say, Lord, I don't, I'm not worrying or sweating it out about what anybody else thinks or whatever what anybody else is doing or what anybody else has. I am just going to submit myself to God and trust him. <laughs> Paul, was, <laughs> Paul was even happy about the fact that he was humbled and brought low. He, in fact, he prayed for it, didn't he? I want to I suffer with Christ and share in his suffering that I may experience resurrection. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I don't know Paul, Paul understood Christ's humiliation. And by the way, Humiliation to the Stoics was anathema. That was like the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Now, look, to the natural mind, it does seem like that. But folks, can I remind you today that, that if you have put your faith in Christ, you're a Christian and you don't think the way the world thinks. So you would say with the Apostle Paul, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. Can you say that I know how to be brought low and to not complain about it and to rejoice that God knows all about it. So what do we know about Paul in terms of him being brought low? Well, remember he received the lashes, 40 lashes minus one. You know why it's 40 lashes minus one? Because 40 lashes was was thought to be all it takes to kill a man. So the judge would say, 40 lashes minus one. We're going to beat you nearly to death. But it won't be 40, it'll be only 39. Five times he experienced that for the sake of Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, you have no clue what I'm talking about. It sounds ridiculous. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have submitted yourself to God and you're saying, God, here am I, use me, you you understand that this is what happens so often. Three times he was beaten with rods. He says one time he was even stoned. They thought he was stoned to death. But after they all walked away, he got up and, where can we go preach now? (laughs) Paul, are you crazy? I know how to be brought low, Paul says. No big deal. And of course, he talks in multiple places in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians about the suffering that he goes through, shipwrecked how many times. And in danger on the street, in danger on the, in the city, in danger in the countries, attacked by the, by the Pharisees and by the, by the Gentiles, attacked in every way he went. Now, some of us would say, well, Paul, maybe, maybe you're not getting this Christianity thing done right. Can I just remind everybody of something? If you came from a, a Christian background, where they taught you that when you became a Christian, it'd be a bed of roses. I could see why then you'd be confused and maybe unhappy because somebody uh, somebody sold you a lie. Listen, this world is a fallen world. And I don't know if you know it, but there's a war going on, a war in the spiritual realm. And as long as we're in this world, we are going to experience the effects of the battle. Sometimes it will be very obvious to us, and other times it won't be so obvious to us. But the Apostle Paul understands clearly this battle that's going on, and he is trying to equip us so that we can face life on this planet until the day we go to be with the Lord. So we need to see with the eyes of the Lord. We need to see that there is a battle going on, and that sometimes uh, Satan wants wants to stop us dead in our tracks. He doesn't want us to succeed. He doesn't want us to do well, especially if we are going around doing good and helping others. Now, some of you may say, well, Pastor Al, that's just a little bit a little bit shaky for me. I don't know if I can handle that. that. It just makes me feel a little too insecure. Understand this. God is sovereign. Did you hear that? That means that Satan is not sovereign. And some people have this notion, this idea that 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 there's a battle in heaven, that God and Satan are equals, and that they're fighting together. No. Satan is a creature created by God. They are nowhere near each other in power or strength or wisdom or ability. Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's, he's, uh, He's not God. You don't need to fear him. In fact, Paul tells us that we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes. We know the way he works. So, what do we do? We keep our eyes on Jesus. Yes. We don't fear Satan, but we fear God. Yes. Don't be afraid of Satan. He can't, he can't hurt you. He's, well, he could kill me. So what? You're going to heaven. Big yes. deal. Big deal. That's what Paul's saying. I belong to the Lord, my life's in his hands. And there'll be times when I'm brought low and other times it's, things are going to abound. And so I've discovered that in every circumstance, everything's going to be cool. Everything, chill, people, chill. God's in charge. He's sovereign; He knows what he's doing. Wow. I want you to see this. He says, um, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. That word, secret, is a part of the vocabulary of false religions in Paul's day. When he says secret, it originally referred to induction into a mystery cult. So Paul's now messing with everybody's brains here. He's not suggesting that, that he's in a cult or he wants you to be part of a cult, but what he is doing is he's saying, listen to me, you cannot understand the ways of God until you become a Christian and start seeing through the eyes of the Lord. It, is a, it, is, it definitely is a mystery, Christian contentment remains a mystery to those on the outside. It can only be learned from the inside by those who are in Christ. Folks, it's part of our sanctification. It's part of our spiritual development. It's part of our growth. I'm praying that the people of Cross Church would understand that God has not forgotten about you, and that, whatever situation you're in, God is still sovereign. He's still in charge. He's still in control. He knows what He's doing. He's not forgotten about you. And He will not let you fall. He will not let you fall. You will not be ashamed. The Lord's going to meet your every need. And He has. And He will. I talked to, some, uh, to a, a person who's a millionaire. Not that long ago. And this millionaire said, you know, one of the things I'm afraid of is that if there's a one world government, I'm going to lose all my money. So I'm wondering, should I spend it all now? (laughs) I said, please. (laughs) What should I do, pastor? And I said, Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's not the answer I was looking for, pastor. I need something a little bit more concrete than that. Buy gold bullion buried in your backyard. But I know this, my Lord shall supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's not going to fail you. He's going to meet your needs, whatever it is. That's, again, why I'm so grateful that Paul doesn't actually mention his needs because we can all now relate and say, yeah, that's me. That's me Paul's talking about. So his secret to contentment and his confidence in, in, in providence, in divine providence, is found in this verse. Here's the secret. Say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. Actually, that word through really should be the word in. I can do all things in Christ. That's what the word is in Greek. But because it doesn't sound right to our English ears, we, 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 we put a word in that sounds better. But I want you to understand that when Paul speaks about being in Christ, this, this is the expression or this is the phrase that he uses most to describe every Christian. If you are a Christian today, you are in Christ. You get that? You became a Christian, you were in Christ. That means you are surrounded. You are buried in his righteousness. You are buried in the power and ability that he gives. I can do all things in Christ. And I'm going to tell you, this is one of the most misused verses. Maybe some of you have got this verse up in your weightlifting room. You got it above your weights. I can, I can do all th- I can lift 300 pounds. I can curl 300 pounds through Christ who gives me strength. Did you have any luck with that? (laughs) You know, maybe you're one of those people that's, I've always wanted to fly, Pastor. Well, go to flight school, but please do not take the controls of an airplane until you learn how to fly because quoting this verse is not going to get you up into the air or down again. You're going to be in big trouble. Are we catching this, folks? What is Paul talking about here? What Paul is saying here is I can do all things all the things that God wants me to do. Here's, my friends, where God's will comes into play. I can do whatever God wills for me to do. Whatever's God's will, I can do it. Because Christ, I'm in Christ, and he's giving me strength. Did you get that? This is not a verse to be used so that, you know, I've never run a marathon in in my life, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I mean, if I tried that, I'd drop dead. Christ would not be giving me strength. He'd be saying, what are you doing, you dummy? (laughs) What are you doing? No, this is all about God giving us the ability and the strength to be content when I'm brought low and to be content when I'm brought high, to be content when I have nothing, to be content when I have what I need, to be content in all situations and all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ, in Christ, because I'm in Christ. I can do it all because he's given me strength. And I want to I just point out something that is really, really cool here. That word strength, in, dunam, in Dunamunti. the root word of that word is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart here. I can do everything through the strength that's like dynamite. Yeah. What can dynamite do? Yeah. It can blow up mountains so we can put roads through. It can, it, can, it can move mountains. That's the kind of strength that God gives us. Nothing can stand in the way of the will of God. Yeah. Nothing can stand in the way. And the people of God can do everything God has called them to do. Why? Because he's given us that kind of strength, that kind of power. My brothers and sisters, here you are today, and I know that in every face, there is some need reflected. But the good news today is that Jesus Christ is your dunamis. He's your dynamite. He's your power. Nothing can stand in the way nothing can stop you. Nothing, nothing can be an obstacle to you because you are in Christ. Stay with me. I am in Christ. Stand with me, please. Father, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for this teaching from Philippi. Thank you for the reminder, Lord, that you want to use us to be a blessing to others And Lord, even as we are a blessing to others, you will bless us and meet our needs. Father, it's one of the great paradoxes of Scripture, one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. Lord, if we are in need, the best thing to do is to give. And Lord, you will give to us in return. Jesus, that's the promise you made. Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Oh, God, we pray that you'd help us to see with the the eyes of Christ, with the mind of Christ. Help us to see today that we are in Christ. This is who we are. This is how we're described. We're described as people in Christ. And therefore, Lord, nothing can stand in the way. Nothing can be an obstacle to your will being fulfilled. So, God, we commit ourselves to you. We pray, Lord, help us not to focus on our need. Help us to focus on you alone, knowing, Father, that our needs shall be met. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, your needs shall be met.